Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Oh, yeah. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeshow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning to you. Welcome to the program. Uh, it's Thursday. Gosh, I love it so much when it's a show. When I shouldn't be this giddy about the fact that it's a short week. <clears throat> nope, I should not be this giddy, but I am. It is what it is, and we are ready to go. Good morning and welcome to the program on this uh, rainy, rainy day. It's so funny. The, I, I can lay in bed and know exactly what's going on. I can hear uh, the house. Uh, my house has some old... Uh, like dish network dishes on one side of the house and you can hear it every morning. If it's raining, all you hear is the ping, ping, ping as water drips off the roof onto the dish. And I just wake up to that little ping knowing, Oh, it's raining hard. That's what's going on. I just know what's happening, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's Thursday, a little bit of a rainy day down here in South central, cool and rainy. We got, well, I hope you enjoyed your summer. We got a nice couple days of summer there uh, around the 4th of July, and we'll see what's what's happening. We'll see what's going on. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, here we are, Thursday, uh, looking for a good day today. Uh, tomorrow is Firearms Friday. I guess I should announce right now that coming up tomorrow on the program, uh, J.D. Tuchili will be joining us, uh, and we'll be talking with him about his uh, latest article in Reason Magazine. I know we, we talked to him about three weeks ago. Uh, normally I spend a little, but but he had, it's such a good article on gun ownership and the changes uh, that, uh, you know, that are being wrought in the gun community by that. And it is a fascinating discussion. And so uh, looking forward to looking forward to seeing that and talking with uh, J.D. Tuchelli tomorrow uh, about that. Uh, on the big radio show uh, today, a little bit of a different day. It's funny. I got a call from Chris Story yesterday, and he he was like, "I mean, the 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 holiday weekend has got him all messed up because he's like, what do I got to do today? Oh, tomorrow I got to do the thing and the show, and then oh wait, it's Wednesday. I didn't call. He didn't realize that I was on vacation and thought for some reason that maybe I was doing the show on the Fourth of July." Anyway, uh, long story short, uh, we had a conversation, and Chris is going to be joining us today in hour two, um, and it's going to be a fun discussion because uh, we're going to pick it up early with him, right after the top of the second hour. Um, he doesn't know all this yet, although he may be listening now. I don't know. But I'm going to have a conversation with him about um, being an author. Um, you know, what it does for him, his books, 
Um, and then my interpretation of his books as a voice actor uh, and kind of the whole process of audiobook making and stuff. I just thought it would be an interesting conversation. And so we're going to have that in hour two. It should be a fun um um, it should be a fun discussion, and so we're going to talk. Uh, we're going to talk about that in hour two today. In hour one, you and me and uh, and all of us together, cuckoo cuckoo, uh, are going to talk about some of the headlines that are going on out there. And I might have a little bit of a recap of our discussion yesterday with Ed King um, about his latest piece in his blog over at King Economics Group about Alaskans and the real fiscal plan. Um, I thought it was, it's just such a good article. It is just such a good breakdown of what we're facing. It's a realistic breakdown of what we're facing. And, um, I thought it deserves just a little bit more airtime, uh, here as we go through, especially for those of you who may have missed yesterday's discussion, you should go back and listen to it uh, on the podcast, uh, with Ed King, which, by the way, you can get um, on Spotify if you want to go get the podcast on Spotify. You could do that or CastBox, Stitcher, wherever you find good podcasts. Um, but it, uh, I think it deserves a little bit more exposure. Exposure. So we're going to talk about that probably as well. Uh, I have also, uh, because, hey, why not? I've opened up the phone lines and we're going to have a conversation this morning with you, maybe, potentially as well. So I guess first things first, phone lines are open, 907-433-3150, 907-433-3150. If you want to sound off, um, I'll just throw the lines open right now. So feel free to d- d- smile and dial, baby. Smile and dial. Uh, we want to say special thanks, by the way, to our friends over there at Satellite West. You can find them at SatelliteWest.com. They are a company that provides you with the technology to stay in communications wherever you are. Yes, utilizes a lot of satellites. That's why it's Satellite West. Um, you can uh, you could stay in contact via text message or email. You could surf the Internet. You can make a phone call, whatever it is. That's why Satellite West is... Uh, um, a sponsor of the program, and that's why they're they're known as far and wide as the solution for that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, anyway, I'm really looking forward to uh, to today's show and to tomorrow's show as well. Yes, with JD Tuchelli coming on because that is going to be fantastic. Um, he'll be on an hour one tomorrow to talk about his latest article on gun ownerships. And the statistics and why gun owners are increasingly reticent to comply. There's a big reason with that. It's increasingly reticent to comply. So we'll uh, we'll see. Um, all right. So again, phone lines are open. I've got some headlines. We want to talk about the Ed King article. Where do we start? I guess we should. St- I guess we should start with this uh, simply because I didn't notice it um, yesterday because I was, I mean, obviously I was radio silent over the weekend and I really didn't, but let's be, let's, let's face it. I didn't, I didn't even look at the news over the weekend because who cares? Um, Anyway, it was uh, funny to come back yesterday and I missed this until after the show 
And then I saw a few mentions and some highlights of this. Um, but specifically, Must Read, it caught my attention this morning with another uh, headline. And uh, I was like, what? Um, according to the New York Post, again, we don't normally cover national stuff, but this is just, this is just kind of crazy. Um, several media outlets, including the New York Post and others, have reported that a white substance discovered in the White House on Sunday was indeed cocaine. The president was not at the White House at the time. He was at Camp David. Uh, but uh, this is the kind of news that I agree with. The <laughs> or, uh, 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 Suzanne Downing says, uh, if this had been the Donald Trump in the White House, it would have been the top of every news outlet in the nation for days. But now the major news outlets have barely even meant, I didn't see it anywhere except for on must read, um, that uh, they discovered cocaine. On Sunday evening, the White House complex went into precautionary closure, otherwise known as lockdown, as officers from the Secret Service uh, investigated an unknown item found in the work area. The D.C. Fire Department was called to evaluate and determine that the item was non-hazardous, although it was cocaine, which I suppose is hazardous in some way. And uh, the, the word came out that it was cocaine hydrochloride, a yellow bag. Uh, cocaine. It, it, was, it was found in the work area of the West Wing, although no specific location was given. It may be the first instance of cocaine having been found in the White House. Or, I mean, you know, possibly. Uh, now, Hunter Biden, who has been at the center of a lot of controversy lately and is an admitted drug abuser, uh, was uh, at Camp David, although he had been, according to the uh, uh, release, he uh, he had been on the White House grounds on Friday before heading off to Camp David. Did you lose something, Hunter? Did you lose something back to the – was it what's, – what's going on? What's going on? Uh, anyway, I just <laughs> – you cannot make this stuff up. You cannot. This in the highest, the bro, the highest halls of power. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit of cocaine. Don't worry. It just enhances your personality, right? That's that's all it is. It enhances your personality. But of course, you do remember what Richard Pryor said about that, right? <laughs> cocaine enhances your personality, but what if you're an a-hole? That's a problem. That's a real, real problem there. I mean, and if you're the Muppet in charge and your personality is that of a hair-sniffing, I mean, goofball, you know, stumble bum, what does that, what does that mean? I just, anyway, I just, I, I just had to read the headline and throw that out there because... It's so ironic. Um, what else is going on uh, around? Well, that uh, 4th of July fire at Whittier has had some trickle-down effects. The uh, boat harbor is struggling because that is the only fuel dock for the uh, for the entire harbor. And so what they're doing right now is they've been bringing trucks down to the edge of the harbor and then running hoses all the way down the gangways and being able to fuel boats uh, on the part of the dock that's not affected by the fire. 
Um, but the biggest obstacle, of course, was the fact that the boat caught fire and sank right at the dock. So uh, they worked hard yesterday and they finally floated that boat back up to the surface and got it up and out of the way. It was a hazard in navigation. It was leaking some oil and fuel. They got that all squared away. And according to the harbor master there in Whittier, they are uh, uh, working pretty hard on getting the facility back up and running. Um, they're saying that hopefully they will be able to have the fuel back in operation by late tomorrow. Now, looking at the damage, it was, uh, you know, oof, it was, it was, they scorched the whole one side of the building. Uh, but uh, possibly. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, they're going to be saying that hopefully they have it back in operation by tomorrow, which would be record time. Um, but we will uh, we'll we'll let you know what's going on right now. But they did they did get the boat off the bottom and got that out of the way. So maybe they can uh, continue to work that through and get it uh, uh, get it going on. Um, all right. Um, we've got some other stories to cover, including a new study that is coming out that talks about uh, that hiring and retaining teachers means that they need to be paid a lot more, uh, according to uh, a study from the University of Alaska uh, Anchorage, uh, Matt Berman, uh, who we've quoted here on the program before. So we'll dive into that a little bit. Also, there is a new lawsuit. Uh, going on. Alaska and nine other states have now uh, notified the EPA that they intend to sue over the wood stove, wood burning stove standards uh, about the air quality solution here in the state of Alaska, specifically in Fairbanks. We'll talk about that. Uh, new rate hikes for Chugach Electric and Chugach Electric, rather, and uh, oh, the ranked choice voting thing. <clears throat> There's an attack there as well. So we're going to go over all that and we'll take some phone calls and uh we will talk a little bit more about ed king stuff as well there you go that's it the michael duke show common sense liberty-based free thinking radio back with more in just a moment don't go anywhere don't forget to check us out on facebook facebook.com slash michael duke show Two S's in there, Dukes and Cho. There's two, there's Deuce S, Dukes. Just in case you were wondering. Back with more right after this. Don't go anywhere. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these uh, entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay. Hi. How are you? How are you doing? Um, I'm just, I'm sending a text message here, um, to Mr. Story, Mr. Story. All right, let's go back over here and we'll hit, uh, we'll hit your thing here. Uh, we'll go back through here. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, Jerica says, hey, y'all, don't forget that there's a gun raffle happening at Wasilla High School, $20 each, need not to be present to win. 
send her a message if you'd like to get one. It's for the, it's supporting the Wasilla. It's supporting somebody. <clears throat> somebody good. I trust Jerrica for whatever it was. It's, I'm sure it's something good. Uh, 72 and sunny in Iowa today. I hate you so much, Dave, in a loving Christian way. I hate you so much right now. Uh, oh, uh, that supports the Matsu Seahawks football team. That's what the raffle's for. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Brian says he went out to get to his office to get his headphones and got soaked. Apparently his office is not, is outside. You have an outdoor office or your office is anyway. It's one of those things. Jeannie says, giddy. Yes. Giddy. Giddy. Giddy for the three day work week. 80 degrees in Fairbanks, says Chris. Oof. Please send the rain to catch a can, says Sue's, says Sue. Um, I have a question for him about that photo. Brian, what photo? Or who are we talking about? JD2 Chili? Is that what we're talking about? Um, Chris needs to admit that he's long. <laughs> Donna says, when is the audiobook going to be available? Well, there's already a couple audiobooks out. So if you haven't listened to those, you should listen to those first. And then I'm working, I'm finalizing the other one right now. We'll talk about that here in the next hour. Um, okay. Trademark. Burr, 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 burr. Um, nope. Uh, just some bright weather news. What news? I'll make my own news. Cocaine in the White House. Yeah. Hunter was there for holiday. Like, I'm sure that was the first time. This week. Um, uh, uh, let's see. Here's how you know this whole story is hogwash, says Jeannie. She doesn't apparently believe the cocaine story. Although there is like an actual radio report. But anyway, the Secret Service would have dropped that substance into a few Nick kits and one of them would have turned blue. Why it took them until Tuesday to report it is pure political hogwash. <clears throat> except the uh the story from the the story from the uh New York Post is I think from July the 3rd so it was the next morning anyway I don't know um well, let's go through uh, I'm still scrolling through the video still scrolling through the thing um the repair of the on-ramp after the earthquake has inspired others. Did you see my piece? Uh, let's see, Michael. Did you see the piece about AM radio? I don't know which piece you're referring to. If you sent it to me, then um, I I missed it. Um, I missed it. Uh, yeah, they're planning on having the fuel dock running by tomorrow. Oh, the repair on the on-ramp is it has inspired others. That was like the immediate turnaround on the repair. So, yeah. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I did not see the piece on AM radio, Brian. Did you send it to my email? Because maybe I just haven't. I haven't really looked at my email since late later last night. So I'll double check. I'll throw the email open right now and see. I don't see it there either. Anyway, uh, feel free to maybe you drop me a link and I just missed it. Feel free to uh, point it out where I made the mistake. Hey, look at that. Barely made it through all the comments this morning. You guys are, you guys are good. Good. Um, <clears throat> let's, uh, let's go. 
The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio, like and share, like and follow, do all this stuff, the things on YouTube and the ring the bells and all that stuff. Let's get it going on, my friends. Let's do it. Jumping back in right now. Okay, fine. Good morning. Welcome back. Continuing our discussions. Brian, shoot that to me in a DM, will you? Because I can't click on the link here. Um, All right. We're ready to continue here this morning. I'm just talking to the chat room. I know. That's so rude of me when you, you guys on the radio can't see the chat room. You have no idea what I'm commenting on, but that's okay. It's just more impetus for you to join the conversation. Again, you can go to Facebook or YouTube or wherever. Um, I'd say the majority of conversations coming in on um, the majority of the conversations coming in on uh, YouTube. Although I can see them all, you can't see them all. That's how it works around here. Um, all right. Uh, other stories, uh, other stories going on here. What else do we have um, in the <clears throat> in the headlines? Um, oh yeah, I saw this. This is a, a Attorney General Craig Taylor. Treg Taylor uh, has emphasized the importance of AM radio stations for emergency situations, as some car manufacturers consider removing AM radios in electric cars. He joined along with 14 other state attorney generals to put out this letter. uh, Here's the thing. I don't think that the AM radios in the cars are going away for a variety of reasons. Now, they said that they need to take away the um, uh, they need to take away the electric the radios in electric cars, the AM radio bands in electric cars because of interference from the electronics in the cars cause the bands, blah, 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 blah. The bottom line is, is that the AM radios are not used very much. Um, and so they wanted to save a couple hundred bucks per car. You figure if you sell 15 million cars and you save a couple hundred bucks per car, that's, you know, there's some real money there, potentially some real money. Um, the problem is, uh, is a couple fold. Now, first and foremost, uh, here in Alaska, we have a real affinity for AM radio because AM radio has the farthest physical reach of any uh, transmitted medium, right? I mean, you can, <clears throat> I remember stories about, for example, KFAR in Fairbanks. Literally, there was people who were listening um, all the time, pretty consistently, in Hong Kong to KFAR radio. This is back in the 50s and 60s that uh, some of these guys had friends that were listening to them in other countries because of the bounce and the 50,000 watts of power and everything else. AM radio is very good at transmitting in, over long distances. And we here in Alaska obviously have 
vast, vast areas to cover with a proportionally, a proportionally smaller number of radio stations uh, and translators and, and everything else. And, of course, for some behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, what most of you don't understand is that most of the radio these days, uh, especially to some of the more distant locations or to some of the translators, is being serviced by the Internet. And what that means is, is that the signal, the sound of my golden dulcet tones, is being transmitted either, in this case, from here, to the radio station by, uh, the, via the Internet, or transmitted from the radio station to the translator, which is then broadcasting out over the airwaves via the Internet. And so what you need is you need some direct, you know, you need, you need more AM radios to reach out into different areas. Here's the problem. <clears throat> the entire emergency alert system in this state and in this nation, which is they have invested billions of dollars over the course of years, billions of dollars uh, over the last 40 years, in this robust infrastructure to keep, like, you know, there's a single source. Every town has one designated station that is a radio station, which is the EAS Center, the Emergency Alert System Center. So when you hear that squelching tone on your radio and it says, this is the test of the emergency broadcast system, this is only a test, there is one station that is designated in each community as being the main station for that. And the government will pay to have a generator put in and make sure that they stay on the air. And they've got all this infrastructure. And they've spent billions of dollars building up the EAS system. The whole EAS system is based, the backbone of it is AM radio. It's not FM. It's not digital. It's not, you know, HD, whatever. The backbone of the emergency alert system in the country is AM radio because. Again, geographically, it, it broadcasts, you know, you could have one station in the middle of the country with a high enough tower and high enough wattage, it could almost reach all the from coast to coast, right? You could hear almost a, a whole thing coast to coast. And of course, they want people to be able to have, be served those emergency alerts in the event that the internet is goes down or there's interruptions or whatever. So I know there's been a lot of movement about removing AM radios from cars. First of all, I don't buy this whole, well, it's, uh, you know, electrical interference causes the signal to be, uh, come on. Are you telling me that these cars are more electrically noisy than some of those old pickup trucks with the unshielded distributors and everything else? That I mean, you could literally hear the, the in the radio as you were accelerating and decelerating these old pickup trucks. I mean, come on. The radios have always been noisy. You're telling me you haven't gotten it shielded. This was about money. This was about if they saved $100 a car by not putting the AM radio feature in the car and they sold 15 million cars, you're talking about real money, right? So really that's all it's all about. So the uh, I just don't think that the AM radio component of the vehicle is going anywhere soon. But uh, anyway, the attorney general has now joined 15 other states to emphasize that importance, especially here in Alaska. We need that here as well, uh, because all those critical life-saving messages and the information and everything else. But anyway, thank you, Brian, for sending me that link. 
uh, it's interesting stuff. But this has been an ongoing debate inside of circles of radio for uh, about oh four or five months because that was like there was immediate panic happening, you know, hand flapping going on amongst radio stations when uh, when this first thing came out, and they were like, "I think we'll just take the AM radios out of cars." Again, most stations are not broadcasting on. I mean, there most station clusters have one AM station. You know, I know down in the peninsula, there's one AM out of like four or five FMs. There's one AM station up in Fairbanks. There's uh, two AM stations for eight stations that are in the cluster there. So, I mean, I know that there is a, it's, it's, it's pretty low priority, but it's still important. Let's put it that way. And, and for example, most of them have an FM translator. So you've got an AM station and an FM translator that is then broadcasting that AM station now on the FM dial. So it's, it's a whole thing. Um, libs with complicit automakers are trying to cancel conservative talk radio, which owns AM radio. Uh, maybe there's some, maybe there's some truth to that. I don't know. I just don't, I just don't know. Uh, maybe it is a pushback against conservative talk radio because they know they've tried to, they've tried to do their own thing, right? They've tried to do air America and some of these other things. And every one of those liberal talk shows have crashed and burned horrifically. Um, they only found new life like the Young Turks. They only found new life on the Internet. But on regular old terrestrial radio, they just couldn't make it financially viable. I mean, I don't know why. There's got to be an audience out there that is opposite of what we are. But I don't know. Just not too many shows out there that are, you know, uh, liberal talk radio that is really making it out there. All right. Um, enough yakking on that. Let's go over to the phones and see what you have to say before I move on to these other topics and we'll get started. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Well, Michael, this is Jason calling from Fairbanks and, uh, yeah, I brought up and I have, I have something to say about the radio situation, but just before that, Mm -hmm. last night I heard Howard Bloom, you know who he is, I presume, right? Um, kind of a leftist fellow. Yeah, I, I the you name's him, familiar. Right? I'm, the name's familiar, but I don't. I can't. Uh, I can't associate it right now. You, you'll tell me though. Okay. Well, he he gave what sounded like very convincing statistical evidence that um, that um, that states in which there's a large amount of gun ownership are much more dangerous. And I was thinking, in a future um, firearms variety, it'd be great if. If he and John Lott could have a little debate on your show, I think John Lott would clean the floor with him. But it's just Howard, he's he's a very smart guy, but I just think he's dead wrong on this. Yeah. But, uh, I just, just wanted to pass that along to you because I heard him on Coast, Coast AM last night. And the thing about the radio that I wanted to bring up, AM, remember AM stereo, the sequence, you know, not, not the HD AM, the digital, but the the analog uh, Sequam AM stereo, it is making a small comeback. And I was thinking it would be great, and this would help AM also, if not only in cars, by the way, that's nonsense about it being noisier, a properly chassis-grounded AM radio works fine in an electric car, just like you said, like the old trucks. You know, it's just that they weren't grounded properly. Once you tighten down those ground, those, those ground, um, uh, cable, there everything's fine, you know, as far as the reception. But if you all went to AM stereo, like like a KFAR, not only does it sound great in stereo, but even on an on a mono AM receiver, I've heard it 
uh, in uh, there is a there's a station in uh, Juno that was that it, it may still be an AM stereo. Plus, I had a very low power. I think it was a 20 milliwatt AM stereo transmitter. I've got around here, around the house here somewhere, and I was using a, a Sony made in J Sony Japan AM stereo, AM stereo, FM stereo radio. And not only did it sound great in AM stereo, but even if you listen to it on a mono receiver, the sound quality it sounds like mono FM because some some FM radios have have provision to switch to mono AM. Like if it's a weak signal, right, where, where the where the where the the stereo pops in and out and if you switch it over to mono like there are a couple of weak fms up on the ridge here um i have a couple of receivers i can do that and they sound perfectly clear and i was thinking that would help i think increase am's popularity would be to add, would be to add am stereo all it is is just a a, cir you know, a different circuit card exciter card as they call it you hook up to the transmitter yeah it's, no it's, and because you can't use hdam here in alaska i found out because the digital noise spreads far and wide at night and it does cause interference whereas the sequam since it's analog am doesn't cause that problem at all yeah i mean i'll be honest with you i think am is uh you know is is there for a specific purpose these days um, and mm -hmm. there's been a, there's been a, like a, I can't remember what the number was. It was almost 50% reduction in AM relicensing, uh, over the course of the last 15 years, just because the signal is, I mean, it's, again, it's harder. Uh, people want to hear it in stereo. It's easy. People forget there's an AM band and everything else, but it is an important thing. Right. I mean, especially for emergency situations and everything else. I mean, uh, you know, it's almost embarrassing. At one point, I couldn't find my radio. I remember during the 2018 earthquake, I couldn't find my little handheld radio that I usually have in my little box, and it was not there. I don't know where it went. Thank you, kids. Um, but uh, I ended up going out to my car and turning on AM radio to make sure that I got the signal or the boost, you know, whatever I needed to, to get covered. Mm -hmm. So it is important to have, um, but uh, I don't know as it's going to make a huge comeback by any means. Maybe there's a small portion of folks who are, uh, uh, you know, who are kind of uh, gearheads or, or, you know, vacuum tube heads that want to check them. it I've, out. I've always yeah. preferred AM over FM because to me, FM, it doesn't sound bad, but to me it has a, a dry, over crisp sound to it, whereas AM has a warm, rich sound to it. And it's just, I think it's because of the different modulation techniques because FM, you know, it has, by necessity, has to have that frequency cut off top and bottom, whereas AM, it works just like sound through the air where it's, right. you know, just the amplitude that modulates the radio signal. Right, it's broader. But I can tell the difference between an AM and an FM and much prefer the sound of AM over FM. Well, there you go. All right, well, Jason, thank you for your heads up. I appreciate it, my friends. Uh, appreciate you uh, calling in thank this you. morning. Interesting conversation. I was not expecting to go into the AM radio discussion. Uh, so thank you guys for steering me on this. This is an interesting discussion, but uh, we got to go. We got to break and we're going to be back here in just a moment. Uh, we'll be back. And then Chris Story is joining us at the top of the hour. So we're going to uh, talk a little bit about his book writing, uh, my voice acting for his audiobooks, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we'll be back. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio.
running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Okay. Um, I was confused. It had Wednesday on your cover, said Denise. For like a half a second, it had Wednesday. <clears throat> I literally started it, looked up, realized that I hadn't changed it from yesterday and changed it over like a second into the broadcast. But <clears throat> Facebook is, they're only here to help you. You know, they're only here to help you. It is Thursday. So, I mean, it says, it says Thursday now. You could see that it says Thursday now, but uh, it, you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. You can't, uh, you can't make it, uh, you can't make a change. All right. So it's Thursday. Hopefully it fixes that when I save the video this morning, uh, to get everything done. Um, all right. I assume it was an attempt to decline the unwashed masses access to rabble rousers like you and Rush Limbaugh and the like getting cynical. We might be getting cynical. That's, you know. Uh, Chris says the government will mandate that all vehicles will have AM radio. And quite honestly, I expect that that will probably come down as an edict. I really do. Because, again, the entire emergency system, the emergency broadcast system in the, the whole, the backbone of the whole thing is AM radio. And so I'm sure the government will come down with some kind of edict to say, you got to leave those AM radios in your car, in the cars, just so people have access to it. Mm, I mean, to me, it makes sense, but I don't know. I mean, I don't think there should be a government mandate, but, you know, I don't because I don't believe in the mandates, but they've already invested billions of dollars in this system. It would be a shame to cut off a bunch of people from the emergency access system simply because of that. I mean, it's it's good. Um, Jeannie says, I'm a talk radio junkie. Uh, you know, I, ironically, uh, it's been years since I've been a talk radio. I used to be a talk radio junkie all the time. And then what I discovered was that I would, I would get agitated about a lot of the stuff. And so I stopped listening as much. Uh, I will occasionally tune in, uh, you know, like a Glenn Beck or somebody like, it can't be, um, certain hosts, uh, I really trigger me like they really I get so agitated and or I get just frustrated with uh, with what's going on. Even I mean, conservative hosts, these are I'm not talking about I'm not listening to Air America. I'm talking about conservative hosts that are out there. That one that one was bothering me. Um, And uh, but I just there's certain ones. Glenn Beck is good. Uh, Mark Levin in moderation. Uh, Sean Hannity, me, uh, Sebastian, uh, Gorka, Dennis Prager. I like, I like those guys, but you know, again, all of it in moderation. Uh, Mike Gallagher's good. Um, but occasionally I like listening to all of them. Uh, it would be a shame that the government would waste billions of dollars. I know, I know. Right. But again, they've been building it out for 50 years, you know, well, Probably earlier than that. I mean, we're we're probably going back all the way to World War II um, with some of the things that they put together and uh, working. Michael Savage, I cannot listen to Michael Savage uh, I, for any length of time. Um, it's just one of those things. I, I don't know. It's just certain people are just make me gonna kind of go no. 
I'm tired. You're making me tired. This is like Sean Hannity. I could listen to the first 30 or 40 minutes of Sean Hannity, and then I could turn it off because I know exactly what the next three hours are going to be. It's going to be basically rehashing what you said in the first 30 minutes. It's, you know, but it works. Hey, those guys are successful. Don't, don't get me wrong. Just because it may not be my cup of tea doesn't mean that it won't be your cup of tea or that they're not doing fantastic. They're obviously doing fantastic. I mean, look at me, this low budget radio show in Alaska broadcasting on a handful of stations. And these guys are broadcasting to hundreds or thousands of stations across the country. They're doing it. I just, you know, no. Anyway, um, Dan Bongino is another one. Although, is he still doing radio or is he still, now is he just doing the rumble thing? I don't know. But anyway, um, I don't spend a lot of time listening to talk radio outside of my own show. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. I don't know. I would say probably the um, Hugh Hewitt. I've listened to him a few times. He's good. Um, uh, it's... Uh, you know, it's just one of those things where if I had to identify with one of the hosts out there more than anything else based on how I do my show and, you know, humor and everything, I would probably say Glenn Beck. I like Glenn Beck a lot. I could listen to Glenn Beck pretty much the whole show all day long if I had time. So um, just because I, I, he does a good job. I really, I do enjoy his style and his, uh, and his, uh, and his show. And he's done well for himself and I appreciate that. Okay. Wow. I didn't realize this was going to be a review of talk radio hosts, but that's what it turned out to be today. Uh, ready to jump back in one final segment. What do I want to talk about? I guess we'll talk about, I was going to talk about the, the King article, but we, I've only got one segment. So I guess we'll talk about the EPA and, uh, Fairbanks and that kind of stuff. Here we go. The Michael Duke show, common sense, liberty-based free thinking radio. Let's do it. Get it going on. Make it happen. Nope, this one. Nope. Okay, welcome back to the program. It's a beautiful Thursday under cloudy, rainy, drizzly skies in South Central. Although 80 degrees, uh, apparently it's going to be another 80 degree day in Fairbanks today. Uh, I mean, Fairbanks does have gorgeous summers, usually. There's no there's no doubt about that. Fairbanks usually has pretty gorgeous summers. Um, but I will take the milder winters over the more gorgeous summers. I'll take a little bit of rain. Uh, over 50 below. Uh, I mean, I, uh, folks in Fairbanks, I love you all. I love all the people there, but the weather, you guys can keep that to yourself up there. I don't, I don't need any of that. Uh, speaking of 50 below, I mean, I know what it's like to try and heat a house, uh, at 50. It was not an easy task, right? I mean, I lived out, uh, out past North pole, just past North pole. And there was, I mean, I lived in like this, it was like a depression. <laughs> it was a holla. It was a, what do they call them? Holler. Uh, down in the in in I don't know the lower forty eight in the south, it's a holler, right? It's this little kind of depressed or valley area. Um, we lived in a low lying area right outside of North Pole, and uh, it was consistently if you went by if you went on the overpass there at North Pole 
and the over the sign at the overpass read 40 below, you knew that it was about 45 to 48 below at my house because it was always five to 10 degrees colder uh, just because we lived in a lower lying area. Uh, so, I mean, I know what it's like to be 50 below, 60 below. Uh, man, that last winter before we, before we moved down here, that last winter was so brutal. It was for three weeks solid. It was 57 below or colder. The warmest it got over three weeks was 57 below. Um, for three weeks solid, it was was brutal. Brutal. Uh, my hat's off to all of you guys um, that are still up there fighting that stuff. Anyway, uh, of course, we know that we do anything that we need to do to stay warm in those areas. And, of course, uh, I actually lived in what they jokingly called, or maybe not so jokingly called, the Triangle of Death. In North Pole, there was an area where the air quality attainment was so poor because, again, it was a holler, right? It's a low-lying area. It's affected by inversion, and it had a it had a higher air particulate density than any other place pretty much in the whole borough. There was like a four-mile square area in this triangle shape, and it was all – it's all – you know, it's almost all geographic and environmental, meaning, I mean, it's all has to do with the weather patterns, what the topography of the land looks like, and that inversion factor of holding the air quality down. Anyway, they were fighting everything that they could do to make it happen. Uh, but now the uh, state is uh, kind of at wit's end. They've been going over this whole uh, air quality issue in Fairbanks. And those of you who are in the Matsu, this could be coming soon to your air, to our area here. Because the Matsu has been on the edge of compliance for years as well. Um, but the, uh, the state of Alaska and nine other states have now notified the EPA that they intend to sue if the EPA does not issue new standards for certification of wood-burning stoves. The EPA's last standards uh, were issued back in 2015, and new standards are due at least every eight years, uh, according to the intent to sue that was issued on uh, Thursday, last Thursday. The chief problem, according to the notice, is that the EPA's 2015 standards are flawed and inadequately administered and are allowing substandard devices to be certified, thus creating more pollution and deceiving customers and consumers. Along with Alaska, the states filing the notice uh, include New York, Illinois, Maryland, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Jersey, Oregon, Vermont, and Washington, along with the Puget Sound Clean Air Agency. Uh, for Alaska, as I just mentioned, the big issue is fine particulate pollution in the Fairbanks area, known as PM. PM 2.5 is the actual, that's the 2.5 micrograms of particulate matter per cubic yard in, what anyway, PM 2.5. Um, the air pollution, um, I mean, it could be a serious problem for some people, especially those with breathing issues, but most of it is created by the condition known as inversion, where surrounding mountains trap cold air over the city and the outlying areas. Cause you got these hills that kind of ring around Fairbanks and then ring a kind of around North pole. And those hills trap that cold air, and you can literally see a like a, a a ceiling right above, and it's holding all those air sources down in uh, underneath that layer of inversion. Um, 
the particulate pollution gets trapped there and it results in violation of the Clean Air Act standards. Now, as I said, um, I mean, we worked on this for years before I left Fairbanks. I've been gone from Fairbanks now for, well, this is going to be the, coming up on our 10th year. We've been, we, I moved down to South Central almost 10 years ago. And I worked on it for probably 10, 12, 13 years before that. It was definitely an issue when I was on the borough assembly. It was an issue before that. Tammy Wilson and I were uh, two of the main proponents behind, you know, protecting the wood stoves and the petitions and everything else. Um, but it it's continued to be a problem. And the for, despite all these improvements and the hundreds of millions of dollars that's been spent to change out wood stoves and everything else. I mean, there was a grant program the government would pay to replace your stove with a better qualified stove and all this other kind of stuff. Even despite all that, the borough is still considered to be failing and falling short of federal standards, and it's labeled a non-attainment area. The state's latest plan, called a state improvement plan, which is a SIP, is now under review by the EPA, with a final decision to be expected by the end of this year. But on December the 30th, the EPA did give a preliminary review of the plan. And this is what I always, this is what I always argued for. The PM 2.5 used to be PM 1, uh, or it used to be PM 10, rather. And then it was PM 3.5. And then it was, it was like it was always a moving target, right? Oh, and it was, uh, no, too much. Too, it, it, we were never going to be in compliance, is my feeling. And the thing is, is that wood stoves were just always the top of the heap. They were the, they were the first easy targets. But after they took out and changed out most of the wood stoves, they were going to be coming after oil fire uh, boilers, natural gas. I mean, they were going to come after anything that emitted any kind of point emission source was going to be the next target. And this this first glancing review, this first um, a preliminary review of the plan that the EPA put out in December mentions that. And I got to tell you, the pucker factor, if you lived in Fairbanks and saw this, you, you should be concerned. According to the EPA, uh, the preliminary review they gave back on in December, again, they're going to give the final review this year, but they said the provisions concerning wood-burning stoves, for example, were seen as meriting approval. We love this. Great. Thumbs up. But other provisions, largely concerning commercial sources, like power plants, etc., were deemed insufficient. The EPA said the state erred in failing to justify its decision to not require the best available technology to be used in coal and oil-burning power plants and in failing to justify its decision against requiring ultra-low sulfur fuel for residential and commercial uses, uh, uses, among other deficiencies. Now, I haven't checked heating oil prices in, well, going on 10 years. But the last time I checked heating oil prices, ultra-low sulfur fuel as compared to regular heating fuel, was significantly higher. Um, like, I, if I remember correctly, it was 30 or 40% higher per gallon than it was for standard, regular old, number one or number two heating fuel. Ultra-low sulfur fuel was more expensive. But that's what the EPA is looking for. They're looking for, and, that, and that's where they're going next. Uh, Glenn Miller, who was the... Uh, 
the head of the air quality division of the borough for many years before he retired, said this exact same thing. He said, when you take out the point sources of the stoves, what's going to happen is the next thing that they're going to look at, because there's not enough stoves change out to change this, is going to be the furnaces and the boilers and things like that. Anyway, this lawsuit's going on. Um, it's interesting. You can pick up the article at the Alaska Beacon if you want to get all the rest of the details. But we got to go. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with more right after this. And Chris Story. Okay. I didn't get to the full ramifications of that. I got I got too deep in the weeds on it. It's a fascinating topic, though. It is a fascinating topic. Uh, I mean, when it's a question of heat or eat, I guarantee you people will burn whatever they... If they have to burn puppies to stay warm and keep their family warm, that's what they'll do. I mean, not literally. Facebook, don't take me literally. But they will basically do whatever they need to do to stay warm you know and yeah brian says part of the problem in the butte which is one of the big non-attainment areas around here is what people are burning the quality of woods lots of junk woods get burned i mean they, they had a whole campaign in fairbanks the entire i mean the borough had a whole advertising campaign on making sure that your wood is dry and everything i mean they've been done they have done everything they could possibly do to try and you know, bring the to to bring this to light and to do whatever they and they did a good job, according to this article. Um, the uh, by 2010, there have been th- uh, since 2010, there's been thousands of stoves replaced, repaired, or converted to non wood units. Uh, about 1,600 new wood burning stoves have been installed between 2010 and 2022, and they showed significant improvements by 2022. The average emissions per wood-burning stove was a quarter of what it was in 2010, the average emissions. So they were they reduced it by 75%. So it's it's been great, but uh, still not enough. And again, it's that moving target. Started out at PM10, then PM3.5, then PM3, then PM2.5. And I guarantee you in another few years, it'll be PM1.5 or PM2. It's just it there it's a constantly moving target. But anyway, it's a it's a fascinating topic. And uh I mean I'm glad I just don't have to deal with it personally anymore. But you know, again, if you're if you if the question was heat or be fined, heat and die or wait and be fined, you know what's you know what's gonna go on. It's uh it's you know. <clears throat> Stack them tight. Stack them tight and high in selected population areas. The rest is parks and preserves. That was actually one of the arguments. Well, what we need to do is just move everybody into town and put them in these vertical high rises. And that way we'll reduce the air quality because nobody will be burning wood out. I'm sorry. Do you live in Soviet Russia? I mean, where you will be told where to live and what to do and everything else. All those central planners make me sick. Make me sick. All right, um, let's see. Let me get, uh, where are we at here? Um, I 
got we got got Chris stories about to join us. We're gonna be going on. Let me go through here. Um, what better way to force people out of the areas of the state with the highest cost of living so they can reduce the number of people on public assistance? Everything they do is to decrease the private economy and reduce how much they have to spend on Alaskans. Maybe. Um. I suggested to an assembly member that the borough makes more areas for fire cutting available. He flat ignored me and wanted to talk, went off to talk with one of his sycophants. I mean, that's the thing. If and, and they actually did that in Fairbanks. They made more wood cutting areas available. They made sure it was dry, you know, more dry. They actually they had borough employees going out and helping people check the moisture. And I mean they were legitimately trying to do what they could do. Uh, I mean, we can make an argument as to whether or not that was government's job, which I did make that argument several times. But the bottom line is, is that, I mean, I had a moisture meter that cost 25 bucks. You know, I would stick the logs with the moisture meter to see what was the driest and what I had stacked and ready to go. I was burning wood and coal. <laughs> I'm double evil. <laughs> I was burning wood and coal. So, but... Yeah, I mean, I still wanted it to be as efficient as possible. I didn't want to waste anything. Um, anyway, uh, let's um, let's uh, let's get a hold of uh, let's get a hold of Chris' story here and see if we can get this thing going on. Um, hey, look at that! Worked first time. I think I got the secret. I told you never to call me here. I know, really. I just you know never to call you on this phone at this time at this exact day. Good morning, sir. How are you, Ben? Fantastic. It's three syllables. That's how good I am. This Fantastic. Morning. That's uh that's good. I mean, it's uh it's uh, it, hey, what more could you ask for? Um you uh you ready to uh you ready to dive into this this morning? Whatever this is, absolutely. Well, I that's the thing. I kind of, you know, I'm I'm kind of a uh, 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 sneak attacking you a little bit because you know, I decided, I said, well, we, you know, you and I talked yesterday and I said, well, would you want to come on tomorrow? And you said, well, sure, that'd be great. Cause you were worried that you, um, had missed, mm -hmm. you'd worried that you had missed the weekly opportunity and you were worried that I was upset right. or whatever. Um, but, um, angry, angry, angry. you I thought don't care I, if you're upset, your anger is I, what I fear. Yeah. My anger is legendary. Um, but, mm -hmm. uh, I thought, you know what, you and I have had conversations about, um, Maybe we should talk about, you know, being an author and uh, being a book narrator and maybe we could bring those two things together. And I thought, well, why not just why not just throw it together and have fun this morning? So I know it sounds like chocolate and peanut butter. It is. Oh, so good. So good in your mouth. Um, all right. So let's uh, let's let's jump in that direction. Did you just throw up a little? Um, all right. We're going <laughs> to <Yes, yes. laughs> just throw up just a little bit. Uh, all right, so we're going to be jumping into this with Chris Story here in just a moment. The man from Homer, we're going to talk about uh, his love of writing and what inspires him and the genesis of it, the whole thing. And then I'll talk about my process with him and we'll uh, we'll go on from here. All right, so hold the line, my friend. I'm going to put you on hold and uh, we're going to be right back to you. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free thinking radio. Like and share. Are, like a chair. It's story hour. It's the story of story. Yes, you're right. Here we go.
Whoa, buddy. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, live around the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukesShow.com and live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning and welcome to the program, Hour 2. It's Thursday, which means tomorrow's Firearms Friday. Coming up and joining us tomorrow will be uh, uh, editor and columnist from Reason Magazine, J.D. Tuchilli talking about the metrics of gun ownership and how more gun owners are reticent to share with people how many guns or whether they own it. And they're just, they're really not interested in participating in some of the madness. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. But today, um, we just finished up kind of a roundup, different things, phone calls. Uh, but I wanted to do something a little different. Normally on Tuesdays, Chris Story comes in to share a little bit of his wisdom, his positivity. He's a life coaching expert, right? I mean, he's the positivity guru. He's not only a potter. He's not only a realtor. He's not only a radio show host. He also sidelines as a PMA guru. Uh, and we love to bring him on every week to talk about, uh, you know, life and choices and goal setting and all this kind of stuff. And I've said it many times, but those segments are mostly for me. I hope you get something out of it. But I personally have been doing them because they benefit me more than any more than anybody else probably listening. I need that weekly grounding back on my course, my true north path kind of thing. Uh, but today I thought we'd something we'd do something a little differently. First of all, because Chris felt bad for thinking that he had missed Tuesday, not realizing that I was on vacation. And knowing me, I went ahead and struck while the iron was hot. Since he felt bad, I got him to commit to come on the show today. Uh, because of that, and uh, I thought I would abuse that privilege just a little bit today um, <laughs> by talking about um, Chris in general. And something that Chris and I have been kind of talking about for a while is maybe doing like a sit-down interview to talk about being a book author and some other things. And maybe the process of of, of audio book narration, because I've, I've, I've narrated two or three of Chris's books already. And working on this new one, uh, the new uh, Jacob Mann book, which is in its final stages, final stages. Um, and so I thought it would be a good conversation to have. And so we're going to we're going to pick Chris's brain. Maybe we'll do something positive PMA near the end of the hour or whatever. It just depends on how much time Chris can. It depends on how long he can stomach talking to me. So we're going to we're going to get into that. <laughs> Chris Story joins us. Good morning, my friend. How are you? Got a big stomach, Michael. It's just fine. It's just fine. It's just just you're like an anaconda. You'll swallow me whole. It'll be fine. <laughs> uh, it'll be it'll be perfect. Um, <clears throat> all right. So um, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your writing. I mean, you like I just said. Look, you're a uh, not to put 
too fine a point on it, but you're a bit of a Renaissance man. I mean, you've been an entre- you know, an entrepreneur, you, you know, you've done the pottery thing. You, you're, a, you know, what a renowned realtor, uh, you know, kind of a, a self-made man investment, uh, re, you know, in real estate investor, uh, you have a radio show, which you're now syndicating out across different stations, talking about all this. And on top of all that, You've also decided to put pen to paper and, uh, you know, in a world full of writers, you decided to become a writer. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that. And, uh, you know, talk, walk me back to the genesis of this whole thing. When did you decide that you wanted to go from just journaling or whatever you were doing to all of a sudden, maybe I should write this down and show it to other people? Let's talk about the let's talk about the beginning of the journey. It, and it's going to sound pretentious, but hello, it's Michael and Chris. I mean, that <laughs> yeah, is yeah. pretension. Have you met uh, us? Essence. I mean, come on. Have you met us? <laughs> right. It's going to sound pretentious, but I will tell you this. In the fifth grade, we were tasked with, and I went to a Christian school from first grade through sixth grade, and um, there was just a lot of emphasis on family and academic excellence. It was really the, the probably the best um, years of my life, academically speaking, and then once left to my own to sink or swim, I sank. But nevertheless, back in fifth grade, we were tasked with writing a quote-unquote book, and I'm using air quotes here, a book about people of influence in our life or who has influenced us. And so I wrote a small book called The Women of My Life, and I wrote a little chapter about my grandmother, my, my maternal and paternal grandmothers, so both of them, my mother, my aunt, and my cousin, who is a number of years older than me and you know, I was very close to, or still am. And it was just, what I saw, Michael, and this is where it's gonna sound pretentious, I saw how it moved them. So copies were made and bound with um, comb bound, and I was able to hand out each, you know, each, each woman that was featured in the book, I was able to hand them a copy, and I saw how it impacted them. Um, my, my one grandmother cried, she was here, she read it and cried, my mom was moved, everybody was moved by it. And I, it really struck me as something like really powerful. And then in the eighth grade, my brother got a set of skis. He was two years old, older than he still is, uh, got skis and I got a typewriter. And I think it was just something my mom and dad saw in me that I wanted to do and liked doing and it was writing. It was actually a word processor where you could see like about five or six words you'd type and then hit enter and, or you could, you could correct. And then it, once you hit enter, it would then print it onto the page and I loved it. Absolutely loved it. So going forward in time, it's just something I always wanted to do. And I just struggled and struggled to actually put a story together that I felt uh, would be publishable. I sent a lot of outlines to publishers unsolicited, uh, to editors unsolicited, and to um, agents unsolicited, all rejected, very politely, if, if even acknowledged, very politely rejected. And then it just hit me one day while I was, is this too uncomfortable to say my goal was in the shower? And <laughs> this story came to me. I'd been out uh, that out in, in the in the hinterlands on a four-wheeler. It was a cold day. Anyway, came to, and this story just hit me full-blown. And I said, I got to write this story. I don't care whatever happens to it. And I let go of the outcome. I said, I don't care whatever happens. This story that arrived almost fully formed. I said, I got to write this. And I sat down and I, and I typed it out in just a matter of, um, I say two weeks, but the truth of it is it was probably just about three or four sessions uh, of typing and sent it to an editor who I hired and she loved the story, edited it very well. Tiffany loved the story. 
and I self-published it. And self-publishing is no longer something that's looked down upon or sort of the, the, the uh, effort of last resort for the unpublishable. It's really a very worthy and, and um, it's, a, it's an accepted practice these days. And that book was called Born to Live. And it's a short book. Some people call it a pamphlet. It's really short. You can read it in a half hour, 45 minutes. But that that was my first effort to say to the world here. I don't know if you'll like this or not, but I got to tell you this story and put it in writing. Right. Well, it's it's always hard, um, you know, the especially if you're a storyteller, if you're moved by the written word. Um, I mean, I have always been uh, I've been an avid reader since I was um but a young kid, like in grade school, I started reading books and novels and things like that. Uh, I, st- I still remember to this day my mother telling me, I'm not buying you another book, so don't read these so fast kind of thing, because I was <laughs> I was burning through them, you know, just repeatedly, uh, because I just found I, gra- I found great solace in storytelling and I found great, uh, you know, I, a lot ideas and concepts. And it was just it was fascinating to me. Um, and you know, I too, in fact, it was funny that you talk about writing that book when I was, um, in junior high school, uh, there was an essay that, uh, at the, near the end of the school year, the, the English class or whatever. And it was like, write an essay, well, not a book, but an essay about, you know, who you would, I think it was, the question was, who would you like to meet and spend a day with that has influenced your life the most? Uh, and it could be a regular person, it could be a fictional character, whatever. And I wrote a, I wrote an essay, several pages about uh, uh, the Louis L'Amour character, Tell Sackett, who I just found to be, in my mind at that point, was the epitome of, uh, of you know, of manhood and and uh, you know, of honor and all these things. And I wrote it all out, and I didn't realize till the next year when I went to get into high school that. They placed me in this advanced AP English class, and I'm like, why did you place me here? Well, because you won this con- – we didn't even know it was a contest, but apparently out of all the students that – I was like the – I had written this thing that had moved people. Same kind of thing. So I think that that's the, – the similarity there is is mm-hmm. ironic. Now, I haven't gone on to the written word. I've gone on to the spoken word uh, more than anything else because I'm a talker. Uh, but this is – you know, it, it – it affects people. It's, it's a lasting legacy, right? I mean, you are leaving something behind that somebody may pick up. You and I talk about authors all the time, uh, both on the air and off the air. One of my favorite authors is probably nobody's ever heard of. Uh, you have. His name is Orson Sweat Martson, and he is a fantastic writer, uh, was very prolific in the early 1900s, wrote on the ideas of success and many other things. And if I can find one of his books, I buy it. It doesn't care if I have it or not. I, I'll buy it again to have another copy of it simply because they're so amazing. Here's a guy that's been dead for 100 years, and yet we're still gleaning great information from it. I mean, that could be said for Mark Twain or Louis L'Amour or, you know, any fill in the blank for any Shakespeare, you know. But those words endure uh, and those ideas endure and they touch people for time and time again. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Yeah, I mean, yeah. truthfully, it, it's uh, but I have a question for you, and that is to say, when you read a story, you and I were talking yesterday about an affect you're you're putting into the story you're reading for me, The Watchmen, and you were asking me a question, and I just instantly said, well, I want to defer to you and your expertise because you're creating something new, and that's what I think of when I think of a narrator like yourself, is that you're actually creating something new. I put words on page, which they could just live there, 
you put them into the world in a whole different way. How do you go about determining a voice for a character? Does it just come instantly or do you have to, to work at that? How do you go about deciding what a character will sound like? You know, it's kind of funny because um, in some ways, uh, my decisions and those kind of things are informed by either other media, maybe a movie I've watched or something. And I look at a character and I look at the, um, you know, I look at the, the the features of that character, you know, who they are, what their motivations are. Are they good? Are they neutral? Are they evil? You know, are they, you know, what? And, and sometimes I'll see a character and I'll go, oh, he's, that's a good, that's a good character, you know, and it, it's a, it, and I try to picture that in my mind as I'm speaking or as I'm going through that, um, you know, for, for voices, especially for, um, uh, you know, for, for example, the Jacob Mann series, the, the first one, the making of man, uh, you know, that, that character, uh, I would say I took a little bit of uh, I took a little bit of the of the whole uh, Billy Bob Thornton sling blade kind of, uh, you know, acts <laughs> the accent, you know, and made it a little more gravelly. And the character is not necessarily intelligent. Um, he's more cunning than intelligent. Right. I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong. You wrote the character. But in my mind, as I read through I what it. the character was, he was not necessarily intelligent, but he was cunning. Right. He had animal cunning. And so I try to bring that into the way he speaks and things like that. But in my mind, as I read these characters, it kind of, you know, it kind of fleshes out to me as I read the character and read the description. You once asked me, well, do you just pick up a book and just start recording it? Or do you have to read it first? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you got to read it first because you got to know all the ins and outs of what the character does mm-hmm. to the end of the story before you start recording the whole story. Nothing is worse. One time I did do a book because I was in a hurry. I'll admit it. I was in a hurry. And I kind of skimmed the book before I got into it. I didn't read it word for word. And I got about a third of the way into the book or halfway into the book. And there was this one supporting character that I had been doing a certain standard voice for. And the the author at one point, about halfway through the book, mentions that the character has like a slight New York accent. And I think I'd been doing like a slight Southern accent or something, you know? And so this whole time I've been doing this character in like this, you know, very slight, you know, kind of Southern drawl kind of thing. And it was like, no, he's supposed to be New York, right? He's supposed to be a little bit talking like this. And I was like, Oh God almighty. And so I had to go back and redo the whole, every part that had him in it, I had to go back and redo. Um, but so, yeah, you have to read the book and that's where I think it comes to me. When I see the hoary, the story as a whole, I, mm-hmm. I can see what each character does and I can, I can feel it, it kind of speaks to me. You know what I mean? It comes to me as mm-hmm. I read it, probably as the characters come to you as you write them. Right. But I, yes, I agree. Cause it, and that sounds, that's where it really sounds pretentious when, oh, the characters speak to me as I write. It's like, but it kind of happens. It begins to unfold. Joan Didion said, I don't know what I think about something until I write about it. And I totally identify with that. One of my favorite narrators, so it goes in order, Michael Dukes, number one, then number two would be George Goodell. And he said, somebody asked him in an interview, well, how do you, how do you get the voice of a woman so you do it so well and it doesn't sound like you're like mocking or trying to do some sort of a fakey voice. And he goes, Oh, I have a um, sensible black dress and red pumps that I put on. Of course he was joking, (laughs) but how do you, how do you express a a woman's voice without it coming out as just 
phony or right. You well, know, that's a you know that's um, a that's an interesting uh, uh, that's an interesting discussion, which we're going to pick up here on the other side. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, but don't I don't want to focus as much on me as I do on what you're writing. But uh, it's a fascinating discussion because I've actually gone through some of the training and some of my uh, and some of my mentors discussing this, and there's a whole science behind that, which we can get into here in just a moment. Uh, Chris Story is our guest. We're talking about his writing, his books. Fiction and nonfiction. Well, they're all fictional, but, you know, help or self-help or straight fiction. Um, We'll talk about that when we return. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with more right after this. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break with Chris Story right now. If you guys have got questions, this would be a perfect time. If you guys in the chat room have got questions for Chris uh, about his writing or about uh, recommendations on what he reads to stay positive or just a little bit anything, um, cause now you're talking about mosquitoes in the chat room. But I mean, if you want to talk about something that's actually going on that we're talking about, feel free to ask a story here or ask a, ask a question and we'll ask a story about it. If feel free to ask a story about a question, if you know what I know what I mean here. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me, Chris, the differences, how creativity comes out in different people, Right. Um, uh, I mean, I've written things and I can, I can write fairly well. I don't write grammatically correct, but I write as if it's being spoken, which I think is of course my <laughs> proclivity is, you know, so it's always interesting, but I'm sure I would fail any kind of grammar test or, or anything like that. The editing process, that's gotta be, that's gotta be humbling sometimes the editing process when you go through that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially, and the, the, the grammar, punctuation, things like that, not in the least. I don't care. I, I get the best I can. And then I turn it over and, and my editor handles all of that. It's the storyline that if, if something doesn't make sense, or there's something, you know, out of sequence, or it's like, oh, I don't care for this character. Have you thought about making that? That's, oh man, I seriously, but the grammar part of it, I don't care. Edit away. I'm an idiot. I'm, you know, ignorant. To, I don't care. I am not worried about knowing all the, the, the rules. I do the best I can. And I do decent. Um, but I really love dialogue. I really love writing dialogue. And that's where the story comes alive to me the most. But it's when the edit comes back with like, oh, I don't buy this character. Or why would this character do that? When it, And so it's good. And it's informative. And I like it. But it's it's the most difficult part of it, but I, I don't have any pretension relative to my abilities to right. craft the perfect sentence. I like short, swift sentences and and e- easy, quick read. That's my preference in life, so that's what I like to write. Well, and I will say that your dialogue is excellent. Uh, I have re- I've read a few books in my time. I've I've performed a few books in my time. I'm probably up to a dozen titles or something like that, and a couple of the early ones were. Well, let's just say it was a slog because the the dialogue was not good. The stories weren't great to begin with, but the dialogue was some of the most. There's nothing worse for a 
narrator, a performer, a voice actor, to be handed dialogue that really is stilted and makes, and in some cases, just makes no sense at all. I mean, you're just like, this sentence, you know, but you got to read it. It's not like I can interpret it and put it in my own words. Uh, I mean, you've mm-hmm. given, you, you personally had given me a little literary freedom that if I see something, if I have a contraction or something that I need, you would, you were, mm-hmm. you gave me the nod to that. Some audiobook, uh, some book authors, especially when you're doing an audiobook, you read it page for page, word for word, comma for comma. You don't, you know, they want it to be exactly how they wrote it down. The problem is, is, if it's dog crap, it's still dog crap on the other end because you can't make it sound any more interesting. So you have done a great job of uh, writing that dialogue, and it's it really is a pleasure to perform uh, well-written dialogue. And I'm with you. To me, dialogue – I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Louis L'Amour was big on kind of the pros of setting the scene. I mean, James Mishner, that guy never wrote a paragraph where three pages will do, right? I mean, he'd do three pages of exposition, <laughs> right, right. Uh, three pages yeah. of exposition before he actually got to the dialogue. But, I mean, there is a point to where the dialogue has to be good because that's what eventually moves the story onward, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, that's what, I, that's what I love to read, absolutely, myself. You know, what's funny is that people... Um, you sent me a sample of the Watchmen, and I've been sending it out to people just sort of as a tease. Hey, coming soon. Go grab the paper book now, paperback now, but wait till this comes out. You're going to love it. Oh, got to go. I hear the bell. Okay, you can pick that up. You can pick that up on the other side. We're 20 seconds out here. Um, all right. Uh, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. I know it's not politics. I've seen some people drop off the stream. I know it's not politics, but I don't care. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. If nothing else, it's for me and Chris. So uh, there you go. Talk amongst yourselves if you need to. Any questions for Chris, you can go ahead and ask them. We're going to keep him uh, moving forward here. Let's jump back into it. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry, not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Phew, I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. Yep. Not your daddy, nor do I play one on TV. I'm not Chris Story's daddy either. That's just, that's, that's innuendo and rumor and I won't have it. Uh, Chris Story, the man from Homer, joins us this morning. Normally, coming in to give us some positivity and a PMA boost and maybe a little goal setting or life coaching. But today, a little bit of a different story. I wanted to bring him on to talk about his book writing uh, and talk about how he started his books and what, you know, what his inspiration was. And also maybe the process, because I've read, uh, like I said, two or three of Chris's books so far, uh, narrated them for the audiobook component and maybe talk about that. Right before we went to break, Chris asked me about female voices. Um, and it's interesting because I've attended, a, I've, I've had some training on this. I've went to talk to voice coaches and uh, voice actors. I actually trained with Scott Brick, who is one of the most prolific audiobook readers in the world. He's got something like 3000 titles under his belt or something like that. Um, I had wow. a, I had a, a two day, three day session with him and, uh, Pat Fraley down in Los Angeles here about five years ago. And it was fascinating. And we got onto the discussion of female voices and female voices are not, you don't, you know, you can't do it in a mocking fashion. Obviously they're lighter. They're usually higher in tonality and pitch, but they also have a different cadence. Females, ladies, women have a different cadence than men 
And so when I'm reading good dialogue, and we were just talking about during the break how your dialogue is actually very well written. I've read some books that had horrible dialogue. They're very hard to perform. But you have great dialogue. Um, so when I'm in there uh, uh, talking or uh, portraying a female character, I'm trying to put myself in the mindset of, uh, of obviously who they are, what their attitude is. But also they have a different cadence. Uh, a lot of times it's uh, softer, uh, more flowing um, for some characters. Some characters I make it more staccato, but it, they, each one has a little bit of a different way that they speak. And so I try and put that into each performance as as you go through. Um, and the, That's the, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Just so, to think about the cadence difference, I, I hadn't thought about that. So it's yeah. not just tone, but there's a lot of thinking that has to go into that. Some, as I was telling you in the break or started to, that people, when I start sending out the sample you'd sent me of the Watchmen, um, people are saying, well, why didn't you read it? I said, well, the, no, no, you don't understand. Because I can do a radio program does not mean, just because I can speak doesn't mean I should read this. This is acting. And it's it's such an art form to act out all of the parts. And so you're almost like your own kabuki theater. <laughs> like, it's like, right. it's pretty amazing that, that you do that. But, I, you know, what's interesting is because I'm on the radio, people started asking me to do things like, you know, emceeing events, which I love doing. It's wonderful. In fact, my daughter Zoe just joined me to emcee the Homer Fourth of July parade on Tuesday. And it was wonderful to have her there. And, and, but then people started asking me to do auctions. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not an auctioneer. And then a couple of years in, I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I'll give it a try. And I've done, you know, a couple hundred auctions since then and love it. But when it comes to speaking out or, or to narrating a book, not going to happen. Not no. It's, right. it's acting in its theater. You do you do an amazing job at it. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I think it's interesting. I've had several like book. Uh, uh, Harlan Coben is a is a very prolific fictional author, and he has written some amazing mm -hmm. books. Um, and I remember I was severely disappointed in him because he was right. He had this one series, Myron Bolotar was the series, and it was it was read by a guy named uh, Jonathan Melrose, who was just he's a fantastic audiobook narrator. And then one time Harlan Coben decided, I'm going to read my own book and uh, for the next book in the series. And God love Harlan Coben, great author, horrific narrator i mean just like <laughs> i couldn't get through three chapters of the book and i quit listening to it because it was so bad usually like you said you could put the written word out there but you it, it takes a certain skill set uh mm -hmm. or mindset to to be able to read it and act it out and everything else but mm -hmm. um let's talk about so so born to live was your first book and again mm -hmm. a, a bit of a self-help you know kind of goal set i mean it kind of a, synopsizes some of the things that we talk about every tuesday in getting your life right in basically inspiring people to know that you were born on purpose and with a purpose right that's kind of the whole that's the whole point of that born to live and uh uh it's a great it's a great book um and then you continued on but you changed gears after that and you went in a completely different direction uh, talk to me about Jacob Mann. Jacob, I'll tell you, the moment Jacob Mann was born, I was watching an episode of Modern Family. Bill Dunphy is, a, well, it wasn't watching Modern Family as much as it was watching what happened later. So anybody who doesn't know, Bill Dunphy on the show Modern Family is an idiot. He's a lovable idiot, but he's an idiot and he's a realtor. And so they make constant fun of realtors and bill is sort of the exemplar of this half 
hapless dupe of a schmuck. He's just a schmuck. And it occurred to me then when my association, the National Association of Realtors, went so far as to actually hire him to become a spokesperson, the actor who plays Phil Dunphy, they hired him to become a spokesperson for the National Association of Realtors. And I'm like, this is how we're portrayed. You could watch any episode of Murder, She Wrote. If a realtor's involved or an agent of any kind, they're going to be the crook, going to cast a shadow across. Right, right. Uh, You watch um, some of the Lifetime movies that, that, you know, take place in a little town somewhere. It's the agent that is either the criminal, the crook, or the person who doesn't really care uh, they just want the money. And, and it's so antithetical to what I actually know of having been a realtor for 21 years and been exposed to realtors all my life because my grandparents had a, a subdivision. They worked with, with realtors when I was little. My dad had a construction company. He worked with realtors all the way through, always entrusted his homes with a realtor. And I just knew different in that, that we are we are constantly in the for the benefit i mean by and large there's always going to be an outlier there's always going to be somebody who yeah okay well they did bad or they're they're just out for the money or whatever it is but we by and large are there for everybody right and we are there to do good and we always put our our service above money and believe that then the money will follow that's just how it goes that we provide more in use value we take in cash value and i said that's it i'm going to write a james bond like character a hero character that is a realtor and what could be more manly than a guy called Jacob Mann? And so I was like, that's it. I'm going to write it. And I wrote this story, which became the making of Mann. And uh, it's just kind of the character has grown in my mind from there. I've already got probably another dozen outlined. And then you are reading currently the book, which is now available, called The Watchman, uh, which is the next in the series. And then I'm writing another one called Jacob Mann's Search for Meaning. Yes, it's going to be a bit of a play on um victor frankel's book which is putting <laughs> jacob in a place where he's got to find out what is really important in life but one time michael i did i was doing a podcast with the alaska association of realtors did that for a number of years and it was just an internal program just for realtors around the state and i did an episode called uh realtors believe it or not and i got stories from all over alaska from down in Juneau to fairbanks to the peninsula and kodiak island and seward and amazing harrowing stories of realtors that were either in harm's way or just had these unbelievable things happen. And so again, it just kind of all melded into one. And I said, I'm going to make a character that is worthy of what I think of as a realtor, which are people that are ethical or people that go above and beyond. I think it's interesting because the making of man, I think could be considered like a teaser prequel to the Watchmen and, and the other stories that are coming because it's, it's fairly short. It's under two hours. Um, but it really gives you some insight into this character. What I love about the character is that you have written him with some flaws. Uh, Jacob Mann is a little selfish at times. He's a little Mm self-centered, but he's human. And in, in, uh, you know, above all else, you see kind of that humanity come through. Uh, he's brave in his own way. And, um, and I, and I really enjoyed the character and I enjoy, you write some, you write evil pretty good. The evil stuff, you, you write that stuff pretty good as well. Um, what kind of dark cave are you living in to bring and dredge up some of the, some of the bad stuff that you write about? (laughs) That's funny. I have a, a vivid imagination relative to what can go wrong or, um, you know, I used to be incredibly afraid of flying and it wasn't dying. 
didn't fear death. I still don't. It was the visualization of seeing everyone I care about on board with their hair on fire as we were plummeting to death. It's just these horrible visualizations that can become incredibly powerful if you let them take over your life. And so rather than that, I put pen to paper and uh, let them live out on the page. But that's always the most exciting part to me is to write something that I would hate to see happen in real life, but it can be so vividly alive in my mind. I'm like, well, I, I should just get it out of my mind and share it with you. Right. Absolutely. So anyway, Making of Man is uh, it's a, it's available on Audible or or uh, you have it up on your yep. website or is is available on Audible? Yeah. Um, yep, they're all available at ilovehomeralaska.com. Okay, so good stuff there. So you moved on from that one back into your kind of self-help mode. Uh, and the best kind of self-help books, uh, books I find, like, for example, I love Og Mandino. Og Mandino is a great writer, mm-hmm. always with a great uh, – st- uh, with a great uh, – it's a parable, right, essentially. Mm-hmm. It's a parable about what you can do in life, and it's a learning experience. So you moved on to The Backyard Millionaire. Now, this one hits a little bit closer mm-hmm. to home. Because you are modeling this after people, real people in your life, and everything else, tell me about uh, tell me about writing that. Give me a quick tease, and then we're going to come back. But give me a quick tease on writing that. That essentially is my story, and you're right. The character, the hero in that, is an amalgam of a lot of people that I've met, starting with my dad and, and other people who have influenced me through the years, Chuck Hoff and our guy, a real guy named Oscar, and more. And that's just my story. And I graduated from high school and the mind tricks that played on me until I realized, wait a minute, I have a path and a purpose and this is it. And I found my purpose in real estate. It's a, it's a great story. We'll talk a little bit more about that. And then maybe we'll play, uh, maybe we'll play a little bit of a sample of the Watchmen's there so folks can hear that as well. Um, and then we'll, we'll finish up with the discussion on the Watchmen here when we return. The Michael Duke Show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Chris Story is our guest. Just a discussion. Alaskan author, again, Renaissance man, author, realtor, potter, PMA guru, auctioneer, guy's done a little bit of everything. We're going to be back with more here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Chris Story, our guest, uh, in the chat room. Back to you guys in the chat room here. No questions, although Donna Ardwin says uh, that she recommends the Story Duke's audiobooks. Um, and uh, I, I, I'm i glad. Thank you. I'm, I'm hoping. You know, I, all I can think of is I, I hope that people listen to a book or read a book, either read Chris Story's book or listen to Chris Story's book, and they come away entertained and inspired, uh, hopefully both. Hopefully both a little bit of both um, with that. So I, I'm I'm excited. Thank you, Donna, for the recommendation. Uh, Brian says the resume that I just threw out for Chris was classic Alaska resume. I mean, basically kind of like you said, Renaissance man in uh, in all things. Um, it's, you know, I love the, the writing is a labor of love, right, Chris? I mean, this takes you some time to pound. You, you wrote out the Born to Live in just three short sessions, but 
like the Watchmen. I imagine that that took a little bit longer to sit down and uh, mm-hmm. and write out, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, it, 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 several months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but again, labor of love is absolutely right. There's no because you kind of are living in that story to a point where I can't wait to go back. It's like the one I'm writing right now is my favorite because it's the most alive in my mind right now. And the other one I set aside and it's okay. It's out there in the world, but the one I'm writing currently, like I can't wait. And I schedule time. I'm like, I can't wait to go there and figure out what happens next and and just see the world through, through the page. So I really do enjoy it. And it's, to me, it's something I value. And as as a result of valuing that, then I make it a priority. And uh, it seems to be uh, something that's not getting easier per se, but I'm enjoying it more with every effort. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because, uh, for example, do you, you say you have outlines. How do you walk me through the process? we got about three and a half minutes here. Walk me through the process mm-hmm. of making a book. Do you literally outline the beginning, middle and end, you know, the, the three acts or how do you, when you, when you have got an idea in your mind, I mean, that doesn't come like full formed, like born to live. But when you have a, you're writing a Watchmen novel or whatever, do you have a basic outline? Do you have some ideas and then fill in the blood? What, what do you do? So it's just a premise. For example, when I say an outline, I have uh, the title means a lot to me. And there's a premise and there's a character. For example, I was at a gas station in Anchorage and I saw a creep in a van. And I mean, we're talking severe creep. You know, this wasn't just like, oh, you're being stereotypical, Chris. No, this was a creep. The look he gave me, I thought, okay, I'm about to be taken. And I don't have that set of skills to rescue myself. I'm about to be taken. And uh, it was just this unnerving look from this creep sitting in a van, just staring across the pump. From uh, And I feel like, I'm like, what is happening? And I started thinking about what's in the van? What if there was actually body parts in a box with dry ice and he's fueling up and he's going to be taking these parts to Nanilchik. And when he gets to Nanilchik, he offloads them. They're marked bait. He offloads them onto a charter boat. The charter boat then goes out, uh, say 22 miles into the inlet and dumps these body parts, which are coming from a, a mafia family in Chicago. But what better way to dispense with body parts than send him up his frozen bait and have this creep then go disseminate and it's like oh that's a story i wrote down about a paragraph and that's coming next after i do the one i'm currently doing so and that's called man overboard right so you t- oh geez so you take it so you take a <laughs> so you take an idea and then you kind of build a story around the idea or a premise yes. then okay yeah yeah and that guy still lives in my mind i can see his eyes i could see is Dan. He's alive in my mind. And when I sit down to write that story, he'll be just as, just as creepy and just as alive. So you take a lot of inspiration from people in the environment and people watching around you then? 100%. I was in a home and Michael, what we're dealing with today, and, and this is not the story of the Watchmen per se, but it inspired me. We're dealing with people today with in-home and, and cameras on the outside of their house and with audio capability. And it's something that we're, we're not used to yet as realtors, as agents, we're, we're just people. You're not used to the lack of privacy. Like that is gone. Privacy is gone in America, period. Now, even more so in the UK and Europe where they have CCTV like in every room, in every street, in every street corner. But it is gone in America to a point where we're not quite used to it. And I just started thinking about being watched in that unnerving feeling and 
like, wait a minute, I've got vents all over my, what, what's going on around, you know, it's like this kind right. of feeling of like, what if you were just being watched in your own home and you didn't know it or in life in general? And that, that prompted the watchman. And uh, what if somebody nefarious had control over some of these things? And, you know, it's just an unnerving feeling. And that stayed with me till I got it written down. And so, yeah, just individuals that you might see or meet or just even like, hmm, what's that? What's that guy doing? Right. Exactly. All right. Well, let's uh, let's jump back into it. We'll talk a little bit about uh, the backyard millionaire. Then we'll get into the Watchmen, and maybe we'll have time to play this uh, to play this uh, uh, sample as well. Uh, Chris Story, cool. the man from Homer. We're going to be back. Uh, the Michael Duke Show. Like and share. Like and follow. Uh, subscribe. Ring the bell. Man overboard. Ha ha ha. No, exactly. I think that's a great title. Uh, I think, you know, all those titles are great titles that he's come up with so far. All right, here we go. Back with more of The Michael Duke Show. Public enema number one. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, enemy. Public enemy number one, which uh, makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the, uh, Michael Duke show. I don't know what you're talking about. I am pure as the driven snow. I'm a choir boy. I don't hurt anybody. Um, all right. Welcome back to the Michael Duke show. Chris Story is our guest. We're talking to him today, not as our positivity guru, which is normally his role here on the program, but today as an author, uh, and we've gone through a couple of the books that he's written in and talking about, we just now picked it up on. The Backyard Millionaire, which is kind of his flagship work for self-help. It mixes two of the things that he's super passionate about, which, of course, is positivity and betterment. And the second thing is real estate, which has been his calling. Uh, And he was talking about this book being close to home. It's basically, you said, your life story laid out. Hit Mm -hmm. me with it. I um, I was happy enough i was content i figured okay i'm, I'm going to do something with my life i'm not sure what i don't have a high school diploma and that really bothered me shouldn't have um had a ged had an equivalency but it just it really bothered me michael and i cannot tell you why and one day i met a guy and his name was chuck huff he was here visiting his son mike huff who's an attorney and owns a title company and great guy and i knew his i knew his mike's kids hence chuck's grandkids and so he got to talking to me one day in the drugstore. I was working in the hardware store. And he said, what do you want to do? And are you going to go to college? I said, no. And I was, you know, 19 years old. And I said, no, but I, I'm interested in real estate. He goes, really? And, and I said, yeah. And I just had a, I don't know why. I don't even know why I said that. But I did have a, an interest in it. The next day, he brings me a book. And he said, Chris, and he didn't need to do this, Michael. He didn't need to take any interest in me whatsoever. Um, his kid, his grandkids are off at college and he, he had no need to take any interest in me, but he said, Chris, if you read this book and you really read it from cover to cover, it will be equivalent to a four year college degree in real estate. And I took him at his word and the book was called the buy and hold real estate strategy. And it changed my life. I read it cover to cover. I still have that copy. I have numerous more copies and I've given away a ton of them. Um, but it, it meant so much to me, and I took it so literally what he said. He put his hand on my shoulder when he said this, and, and I it burned in my mind. This is a college degree, and I felt like I had equivalent to it. And I walked taller. I, I walked more confidently, and I talked confidently. I took over uh, – my wife and I took over managing an apartment building. We did that for seven years and learned contracts and learned maintenance and learned relationships and learned about finance. And then we launched our own investment 
strategy from there. And that made all the difference. And I thought, why not share this? Because if one person can benefit from it, half as much as I did right. benefiting from that one book, then I owe it to that one person. And thankfully, it's actually benefited thousands of people. And uh, I set a new goal to help 2,000 people in the next two years become backyard millionaires. And, and that's just going to keep going on and on into uh, for the rest of my life. I just absolutely love it. And that story, I just listened to it, by the way, Michael, you read it so well. I just was painting um, a set of buildings Tiffany and I own. We couldn't find anybody painting. So we, okay, we're gonna do it ourselves. And I listened to the backyard millionaire while I'm painting these buildings. And because you read it, back to me it was like a whole new story to me and i loved it all over again ah, that's great i mean it is a great story it's inspirational it definitely made me <clears throat> rethink my uh my lifelong strategy and investment and retirement strategy and everything else and it's inspired me to do some different things and so it definitely is a great book uh for that uh the backyard millionaire again you can find all these stuff all these books we're talking about at i love then we moved over to The Watchmen, which is the sequel to Jacob Mann, Making of Man, which is pretty short. Like I said, it could be uh, considered a kind of like a prequel prologue thing. And then this just sets Jacob up for when he's back in Alaska. And, of course, you wrote it in Homer, which um, I think gives you a little bit of a sense of firmer ground. And uh, and I think it's a great story. Thank you. And I will, will warn anybody who has read Born to Live or the backyard millionaire, or really, really just loves the positivity that comes from on top of the world radio, or what you and I talk about here on Tuesdays. This isn't that. This is a little more explicit. This is a little bit more genre fiction in that, as you said, Jacob is he's a flawed individual. He likes to imbibe in his martinis. Uh, he loves the ladies, and the ladies love him. And so I wouldn't want to confuse anybody. I almost thought about not using a pen name, but about using like Christopher's story on the the title page of these versus Chris story. And I, you know, I won't do that. And I sent a manuscript to somebody who I really love and admire and is a great guy. And he was like, Oh, this, this is not what I was expecting. I thought, wow, there's, there's nothing positive about this at all. I was like, Oh, oh man, I should have said something. <laughs> yeah, you're right. This is totally different. This is not. Um, yeah. And I'm not saying I'm any James Patterson here, but I'm just saying it would be a little bit more like that than yeah. it would be Ogmandino. And so that's like, it's a little bit of a, a darker side. Yeah, no, it's a fictional story. It's, you know, it's, 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 uh, you know, murder mystery kind of, it's not, it's not meant mm -hmm. to be a positivity story. It's meant to be storytelling at its greatest. And it is really a good story. Um, and, uh, and I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it. In fact, um, I have the sample here. This is a sample that you'll hear when it goes live on Audible. But I wanted folks to get just a peek of what it's like for Jacob Mann here in Alaska dealing with the situation. So here is a quick sample of The Watchmen, and then Chris and I will come back and finish up. Here, uh, here it is. The stand of spruce was tightly packed with thick limbs drooping down low to the ground. Visibility beyond the edge of the parking lot was non-existent. Walking closer, I stepped as lightly as possible. Snap. Another twig broke. That's not a squirrel or a bird. Someone was moving, close by. Looking back to the house, I could see through the large picture windows, and giving Devin a tour of the living room. Turning back to the forest, I heard another twig snap. Then another. He was moving away from me. Fast. Was it bravery or stupidity that caused me to enter the woods? I'm not sure. 
Once inside the stand of green trees, I could make out a small clearing about fifty feet ahead. Lifting the heavy limbs out of my way, needles poked my hands and slapped me in the face. Realizing the folly of my predicament too late, I heard more snapping of dried limbs. Only, the sound was getting closer. He was moving towards me now. Moving faster, I crouched lower and was practically crawling by the time I entered the clearing. Looking up, I saw the beautiful blue sky and felt a sudden sense of relief that almost instantly turned into sheer terror. Slowly, vertebra by vertebra, I stood. Gaining my footing, I was about eye level with a massive grizzly bear. It was not more than twenty feet in front of me. On all fours, his giant bucket of a head was level with mine. We locked eyes. His nostrils were flaring, and the hair on his thick neck was vertical. I had his full, undivided attention, and he had mine. Going into the woods had been a colossal mistake. Flashing through my mind was every post-mauling photo I'd ever seen. Even from those accounts of survivors, the thought of his teeth sinking into my scalp was horrifying. Hearing the sound of your own bones crunching as the vice-like jaws clamped down on your limbs was unimaginable. The several inch-long razor-sharp claws disemboweling you before your very eyes. I'd managed so far in my Alaskan experience to avoid bears. Until today. In search of the invisible man who called himself the Watchman, I'm now face to face with a natural-born killer. Instantly, I recalled the fact that brown bears can run at nearly 40 miles per hour. Off the starting block, they can outrun the fastest man on the planet without breaking a sweat. The trees aren't climbable because of their thick boughs of needled limbs, not to mention bears love to climb, happily exerting the extra effort for a meal. They're more afraid of you than you are of them. My grandpa's expression for everything from spiders to grizzly bears was ringing in my ears. Though it is true that most bear attacks are either by a mother in defense of a perceived threat against one of her cubs, or, just like now, because of someone being in the wrong place at the exact wrong time. Either way, when a bear eliminates a threat, if that threat is you, you don't stand a chance. The bear snorted, lifted a paw, and then scratched a hole in the earth beneath large enough to bury a small watermelon in. I did the opposite of what any expert will tell you. I began to retreat backwards. This didn't go unnoticed. The bear got up on its hind legs and reared back, lifting its head high. Opening its huge mouth, the growl that emanated was deep and shrill at the same time. Hard to believe that neither my bladder nor bowels failed me. Everything I owned was clenched in that precise moment, thank God. I backed up a few feet further till I was up against the proverbial wall. In this case, it was a thick stand of black spruce. No easy way out. The bear fell forward, landing hard on all fours while simultaneously launching itself at me. Fast, I spun towards the tree and ducked down low to try and crawl under the tangle of limbs. The sounds of a thousand-pound assassin thundering behind me were getting louder. My stomach leapt into my throat. In a millisecond, I'd be dead or wish I was. Without any time to think or seriously contemplate my life or how it would end, the thunder was silenced by a deafening clap of lightning. So that's a little bit of a sample from The Watchman uh, that uh, Chris Story has written and is in uh, post-production right now, getting ready to be finished up. And that should be <clears throat> hopefully ready here in the next couple weeks to be available from audible.com uh, for them to check it out. Chris, final thoughts here as we get ready to wrap up for today on people who are looking to be inspired to be creative or who just love to listen to creative people or read creative people. Um, what do you think? 
I say, go for it, do it, do whatever it is, whatever is in your mind. You're like, man, I would love to write a book. I'd love to narrate a book. I'd love to create X, Y, or Z. You owe it to yourself to do it. And I think if you release the idea of an expectation of an outcome and or an audience or whatever, you do it simply to do it and to enjoy it, whatever that outcome is, you're going to be better off. And so will the world potentially, as you just said, a hundred years from now, we could be reading what you wrote, listening to what you said or sang, or looking at something you did. And if nothing else, you'll inspire people in your circle that if you can do it, I can do it. Yeah. Vice versa. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, his latest book is called the watchman. That was what you just heard a little excerpt from. And we'll be talking about that more as it comes out for audio release. It's available right now in paperback at ilovehomeralaska.com. Chris Story, great discussion, my friend. I love it. Uh, Thanks for coming on board. No, my pleasure, Michael. Thanks for sharing the time. Uh, Good to hear from you. Hold the line for just a second. Folks, we're out of time. The Michael Duke Show. We'll see you tomorrow. It's it's fun. I mean, that's uh, that's just a little teaser. And that story gets better and better. Uh, as you go through. Uh, I mean, that's good, but it gets even better as you go through. I love that. Um, Chris, uh, final final thoughts here before I let you go, my friend. Oh, wonderful. I really enjoyed the discussion, Michael, and, and appreciated everything. I think values, um, if we're just talking about inspiring somebody to do something creative or be themselves or try something that they've been, un- been a little bit afraid or unsure of or uncertain about their ability to do it, just align what you value in life with your activities, with your priorities of life, and you'll find that you'll enjoy the process no matter the outcome. But I say just go for it. I interviewed an author one time and said, isn't it true, this is before I'd written my first book, isn't it true that everybody's got a book in them? And this author said, no. (laughs) Oh, okay, I thought it was true. And it is true, you have something to do. Maybe it's not a book, maybe it's not amazing narration like Michael could do, but you have something. And maybe you're holding back. I say go for it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, Chris Story, the man from Homer. Thank you, my friend. It was good to hear from you. I appreciate it. Uh, This was a fun discussion today. I love veering away from politics sometimes and doing just this kind of slice of life stuff. And if I can highlight my friends while I do it, then uh, what more could you ask for? Right. That's uh, good stuff. Thank you, Chris. I love HomerAlaska.com. We'll see you next Tuesday. Back to the positivity okay. grind, huh? Sounds good, buddy. Talk to you then. All right. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Chris Story, the man from Homer. All right, folks, we are out of time for today. We're going to jump back in uh, tomorrow. J.D. Tuchili will be our guest from Reason Magazine. Uh, we'll be talking about gun ownership and the statistics and the breakdown and why many new gun owners are hesitant to trust the government. For many reasons, we'll talk about that here tomorrow. Have a great day, my friends.
we've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. <laughs> 